Hey there. You know, sometimes experiments fail. And when we're lucky, well, one, nothing life-changingly awful happens. And two, we learn stuff. That's the kind of story we've got today. It starts with a note from a listener named Sandeep Swami. And when we first talked, he was in a fighting spirit. The facilities are doing nothing but taking advantage of a vulnerable situation, right? Which the patient is already in. He was fighting a medical bill and he had a question I didn't know the answer to, but I wanted to know. And I knew exactly who I wanted to ask. And it wasn't an academic researcher or a lawyer or whatever. Somebody whose credentials were a lot more informal was one of my favorite people I've ever talked with for this show. And I wanted to put her together with Sandeep. In the end, Sandeep's experiment did not work out the way he'd hoped. And he was disappointed, but he'll be okay. And meanwhile, we did get the answer to that question. We had a great conversation with that expert. And we learned some useful lessons. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about why healthcare costs so freaking much and what we can maybe do about it. I'm Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter, and I like a challenge. So our job on this show is to take one of the most enraging, terrifying, depressing parts of American life and bring you something entertaining, empowering, and useful. Sandeep lives in the Bay Area, works in software, came to this country from India 14 years ago. I'm basically an immigrant, and the, the whole system over here was kind of completely new to me. He was used to something a little more basic, but adequate and way more affordable. The last few years, he's had a high deductible insurance plan. It has gotten him very interested in learning more about how to avoid getting ripped off. You start seeing those big numbers being billed to you and you kind of get uncomfortable paying those large amount. He's been listening to our show and he's been reading a book we've talked about here, Never Pay the First Bill by reporter Marshall Allen. And I wouldn't say it had all left him itching for a fight, but... I had this in mind that, hey, the next time I have a situation where I had to walk into a facility, I'm kind of better prepared. Then last spring, his daughter wasn't feeling well. She was 11 at the time. Just a cold, a cough at first, but her usual medicine and inhaler wasn't working like it usually did. And the cough, well, was keeping her awake. About four or five in the morning, she was still not able to sleep with coughing. And Sandeep was like, all right, I guess we better get her seen now. And the trip to the ER was uneventful and short. The whole consultation lasted probably about six, seven minutes. The doc said she's going to be okay. Maybe up the frequency with the inhaler. And that was it. Sandeep's daughter got better. A few weeks later, he got a bill. $1,339. And this bill does not include the doctor's services. That was a separate bill, maybe 60 bucks, which he says he paid right away. This is from the hospital. And he's like, what did they do for me exactly? There was no IV, no injection, nothing. There was nothing which was given to us from the emergency facility. And the only recommendation we got, hey, use over-the-counter medication. So Sandeep's like, okay, I'm going to see if I really have to pay this. I think I can afford to pay this amount. There's no questions that I, I won't be able to. But I think it's more like a principal thing. I'm not going to go through all the work Sandeep had already done before we talked. But it was a lot. First, he checked. Was this charge even correct? He got an itemized bill, looked up the billing codes, found out he was being charged a facility fee. It's like a cover charge just for walking into an ER. And it's legal. In fact, hospitals will tell you this is how they keep the lights on and all the life-saving machinery running and how they keep all the nurses and other staff paid. 
all the people and all the equipment they need to keep at the ready for whatever walks through the door. In any case, Sandeep was like, yeah, 1300 bucks? He made all the phone calls to the hospital, to his insurance, to a bill mediation service from his employer. And they all told him the same thing. Sorry, man. 1300 bucks is the amount your insurer pays for that code. You haven't met your deductible, you have to pay. And this is the amount. He was like, yeah, but it's ridiculous. I said, even if I rent a hotel for a day <laughs> with all the facilities, it's not going to come to this price at all. <laughs> so even if there's no error, he wants to put up a fight. He goes looking for ammo, data that could show the price he's being charged is unfair. And because Sandeep has really been following stuff, he knows a federal order that went into effect last year requires hospitals to lay out a lot of pricing information for certain services, like what they actually charge different insurers and what they charge people who don't have insurance. He finds the file, and it's a good thing for him he's a software engineer, because this file... It's not in a readable format. It's like the binary... Yeah, it's a binary file, pure code. Readable by machines, but not people. And yes, it's legal for them to post it in that format. Sandeep puts his work skills to use, decodes the file, and he learns this hospital charges people who don't have insurance about $1,000 less than what they want from him. And he wrote to me because he wanted to know, how could he find out what they accept from Medicare? And I was like, oh, wait, I mean, I don't actually know. I mean, you know, you can, and I know it's a really good thing to do because if you're negotiating a medical bill, that could be a good data point to have. It's a price the other side definitely accepts. It's going to be a lot lower than what they're charging you. Because Medicare prices are set by the government, and they tend to be a lot lower than the rates hospitals and other providers negotiate with insurance companies because with Medicare, they don't get to negotiate. The government does its studies, decides on what it thinks is reasonable, and says, here, take it or leave it. Actually, take it or leave Medicare. And, you know, hospitals and other providers often say they get screwed on Medicare rates, but they all accept them. They might not accept that rate from you. In fact, they probably won't. But if you're going to try to negotiate a bill or fight it, it seems like a data point you might want. So I wanted to know how to find it, too. And it seemed like an opportunity to reconnect with one of my favorite sources ever. That's the behind-the-scenes star of one of the first stories I ever did for this show. And it's a story I especially enjoyed making, partly because I got to report it at a Renaissance Fair. Have you gotten the chance to speak with Robin Hood yet? Robin! Come forward! That's right after this. This episode of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit newsroom covering healthcare in America. KHN is not affiliated with the giant healthcare outfit Kaiser Permanente. We'll have more information about KHN at the end of this episode. Okay, this very early Arm and a Leg story starts with me at the Renaissance Fair. Thanks, and you having fun? For sure, yeah. I'm about... talking to Robin Hood. What... Awesome, yeah. yeah. And if you've heard the story, you may remember the people who work at these fairs, Rennies. They've developed a kind of handcrafted medical bill safety net. They need one. I mean, they don't all earn a lot of money, and the gig does not come with insurance. And, you know, they're handling swords and flaming torches and whatnot. So part of the Rennie system is they pitch into a kitty to help cover each other's medical bills, like a half million bucks over a five-year period. But the other part of their system is what's really impressive, because in that same five-year period, 
they made more than $2 million worth of medical bills disappear. And the wizard responsible for that trick is Kaylin Globig. She's a former Rennie herself. She does all this part-time. She also works as a real estate agent. My first interview with Kaylin may be the single most educational, influential conversation I've ever had in reporting for this show. This part especially stuck with me. I love this job because I'm so appalled at the way they try to work our medical system. I like to be on this side of it, the one that's kind of fighting for the little guy. That's it right there. That's a direction our whole show has taken. And Kaylin's the person who introduced me to the whole idea of using negotiation and advocacy and our wits to defend ourselves and others against wild medical bills, including by getting an itemized bill with billing codes. In fact, Here's what she said. I look up those codes and I see how much Medicare will pay for those. Yeah, I think this is what gave Sandeep the idea to call me. So I was extremely pleased to introduce them. I got the three of us together on Zoom. Sandeep told his whole story. Kaylin definitely loved hearing it. Well, first of all, give them hell, Sandeep. I am so happy to hear that you have tried to exhaust every avenue. And she was ready to show us how to find out what Medicare pays. Kaylin had sent us a cheat sheet ahead of time, including a link to a special page on CMS.gov. That's the site for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. It was like she'd led us to a secret door. Now it was time to go through it. So what you want to do is scroll down in the first page here. Click on Begin Search. I'm not going to make you listen to our whole journey. And click Accept or read it if you'd like. I've never read that. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to refer you to Kaylin's cheat sheet. It's a how-to document. We're going to post that wherever you're listening and to armandalegshow.com. For now, I'll just tell you, about four and a half minutes after we found that secret door, we landed here. So as you see that $1,339 service, our government has deemed a fair price for the service is... Wow. 40, what did it say? $45? (laughs) $45.91. That's it. Yep. (laughs) They are charging you two to 10 times more usually than the fair price. This is more like more like 20 or 30 times more. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, just astronomical. It's crazy. Sandeep said seeing this strengthened his resolve to fight. I mean, you look at the Medicare price. It's not even two times, not even three times. It's like several times the amount. So it's just not right. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. Now, a hospital might say that $46 Medicare rate is the reason we demand such high rates from insurance companies like Sandeep's. We're getting killed. We got to make it up somehow. I mean, it's an argument I hear a lot. Kalen has a different caution. I love what a hard time you're giving them, Sandeep. This is so great. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, you're wrestling with a giant. Kalen says that's not something she tends to take on. When she looks at Medicare prices, it's not for fighting with a hospital, arguing that their rate is too high. She uses Medicare prices when she's advocating for someone who doesn't have insurance. It's a way of making an offer of something they can pay, even though they can't pay the amount on the bill. I write them a letter and just let them know I cannot afford to pay this amount and ask them to please consider accepting Medicaid prices from me. Oh, actually, Kaylin means Medicare, government insurance primarily for folks age 65 and up. Medicaid is government insurance for low-income folks, It pays even less than Medicare, and a lot of providers don't take Medicaid at all. So Kaylin asks them if they'll consider taking Medicare prices for someone who just doesn't have insurance. 
she writes a letter asking, please. And a lot of times they'll say yes. And usually she's not approaching big hospitals this way. Um, these are smaller, you know, this is the doctor's offices, the radiologists, you know, the smaller businesses and service providers. Hospital is a little more difficult and every hospital is different, but it's worth trying. I mean, I'd still write a letter and send it to somebody who I hope would look at it. <laughs> but yeah, my in my experience, it's, it would be difficult to get them to agree to negotiate lower prices. Mm-hmm. So Sandeep was not exactly sure what would happen next or what he was going to do. Time is running out for me. So I think I still have maybe about two weeks time before it goes to collections. That was a few months ago. About a week after we talked, Sandeep heard from the hospital. They were offering him half off. He said he'd think about it. And he did. A week later, he was just about ready to say yes. And then he got a letter from a collection agency demanding the whole thing. I was really upset. At one point, I was thinking about, okay, let me get over this. Let me settle this amount. And then the next day I see this letter. <laughs> and I, I was totally kind of pissed out by looking at it. And he sent them back a very firmly worded letter, told them he was disputing the debt, demanded a bunch of information from them before he would consider paying, including the details of their state license as a debt collector. Provide the date of the license, the name on the license. He sent it certified mail, called to confirm they had it. That was two months ago. And that's it so far. He hasn't heard from them or from the hospital. Nothing. Zero. Zero letter. Zero communication. And he wondered, where does that leave me? I mean, I have to say, I wondered, is Sandeep off the hook? So I called another great pal of the show who happens to be an expert. My name is April Kuhnhoff, and I'm a staff attorney at the National Consumer Law Center. And she said, basically, Sandeep's not really in the clear. For one thing, the law doesn't say he's entitled to all the information his letter demands and that if he doesn't get it, the debt's not valid. And just because somebody stops contacting you doesn't mean that the issue has gone away, unfortunately. Saying you dispute a debt doesn't mean you automatically win, which April says does not mean you shouldn't do it, especially when the other side might actually be in error. There's so many reasons you could have questions about whether you owe the money. Is this the right amount? Should my insurance have covered more? You know, was I billed the wrong rate? Was I billed for services not received? And if you have those questions, then absolutely file a dispute. We're on to a whole nother topic now, dealing with debt collectors and bogus bills. But I'll note, NCLC has sample letters, editable templates that you can use for situations like that. We're going to link to them from wherever you're listening to this, too. Meanwhile, Sandeep's in a kind of limbo after all his fighting. No, it didn't turn out the way I wanted, not to even a minimum degree. He may go back to the hospital and see about settling for half. And if he could do it all over again... He probably wouldn't do it the same way. It's a lot of time, effort. Uh, it's unnecessary stress, I should say. Yeah. So I'm saying Sandeep's experiment, just duking it out when a bill struck him as ridiculous, did not pan out. But he'll be okay. And he says he did take a lesson from the experience. He calls it a silver lining. If or when he has to go to the ER again for something that's not huge and life-threatening. I wouldn't share my info, uh, insurance information. I would insist on the cash file. And, you know, that seems worth considering as long as you're sure you could give them your insurance information later. Like if they say, actually, we need to check you into the hospital right now because they need to treat you for something, you know, where the charges might blow way past what you could pay cash for and way past your deductible. And because Sandeep shared his story with us, we learned a few things. We learned about the limits of just duking it out, trying to wrestle with a giant. And we learned a little about certain tools 
finding the Medicare price, sending a dispute letter to a debt collector, and about where they are and aren't likely to be useful. And we pulled in tools and guides for when they are handy, like Kaylin Globig's cheat sheet for finding out what Medicare pays for something, plus those sample letters from April's organization. And we reconnected with Kaylin, who's awesome. On the way out here, I'm going to share a couple of bonus tips with her that could come in handy next time you're calling somebody about a stupid medical bill. First one, we've heard it before, but it's worth repeating. If the person you're talking to is a total pill, just end the call. Try getting somebody else. I've gotten the most unhelpful, rude, just stonewalled people. And I just politely hang up and call back because there's a good chance that there are more than one operator manning that department. And sometimes it's just the biggest difference is just getting the right person that's willing to help and listen. And the second piece of advice from Kaylin I especially loved, bring an advocate with you to the call. It can be anyone. Here's how it came up. Somehow, even just being, you know, I say I'm a patient advocate and just saying that sometimes they like straighten up a little bit. And I wonder if it would be a good tactic to kind of try in general, you know, to kind of recruit somebody to play that role. Yeah. Like this is it's me and my patient advocates <laughs> yeah. on the phone right, right now. Yeah, right. Which, you know, my patient <laughs> advocate could be like my spouse. Yeah. Um, they don't have to know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your friend, your neighbor. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm headed to Houston to meet Dr. Ricardo Nuila. He says, we talk about how what if we had a medical system that didn't revolve around money, around billing? And he says, actually, we already have one. It's just not evenly distributed. But that's where he works. He practices at Ben Taub Hospital. It's a publicly funded safety net hospital in Houston. He says it's not perfect, but it's way better than you think. And it's where he wants to work. And he's just written a book about it called The People's Hospital. That's next time on An Arm and a Leg. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode of An Arm and a Leg was produced by me, Dan Weissman, with help from Emily Pizzacreta and edited by Appy Yellow Duke. Daisy Rosario is our consulting managing producer. Adam Raymunda is our audio wizard. Our music is by Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Gabrielle Healy is our managing editor for audience. She edits the first aid kit newsletter. B. Bosco is our consulting director of operations. Sarah Ballam is our operations manager. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. It's an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. KHN is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. They share an ancestor the 20th century industrialist Henry J. Kaiser. When he died, he left half his money to the foundation that later created Kaiser Health News. You can learn more about him and Kaiser Health News at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Zach Dyer is senior audio producer and Tarina Lofton is audience engagement producer at KHN. They are editorial liaisons to this show. Thanks to Public Narrative, that's a Chicago-based group that helps journalists and nonprofits tell better stories for serving as our fiscal sponsor, allowing us to accept tax-exempt donations. You can learn more about Public Narrative at www.publicnarrative.org. And finally, thanks to everybody who supports this show financially. We'd love for you to join in at armandalegshow.com slash support. Thank you. Thank you.